and welcome back to another episode of Lost It Down. We are on episode 38. It's going to be a little different this week. Steven's down in South Carolina, I believe it is, for a buddy's bachelor party. So it's going to be a solo show. It's just me, Wally Lukashensky, with you today. So it's going to be a pretty short episode. I'm not going to keep you guys all that long. We have been doing every other week. We've been dissecting a division, giving you our over-unders before we have our ultimate preview show here in about a month. We're going to do that right before the actual season starts. So today, I'm only going to break down the AFC North. Didn't feel right to break down the NFC North without Steven as he is a diehard Packers fan. And I'm sure, as you guys know, he hates those other teams in that division a lot as your buddy Adam Alfonso surely knows uh, better than anyone out there. But anyways, I'll fill you in with my last couple weeks here, and then we'll get going in like a normal show here. And nothing too crazy on my end. I really do appreciate everybody reaching out, kind words uh, regarding my uncle and his passing earlier this month. That really did mean a lot, and it helped me get through it. Your guys' support, Steven's support, and then my other podcasts and their support, uh, if you ever have interest in that, Big Ten football, Big Ten basketball, that is pigskins and nylon. We're doing that every week as well. But anyways, let's just get right into it. We're going to jump into some fun stories. I'm going to be probably all over the place today because I don't have that buffer of someone being able to keep me in the lines. So if I start thinking and end up on a movie or end up on the weather, sorry, that's just who I am. We've talked on here quite a bit about the Euros or the Copa America Steve and I are both trying to get really into soccer. We've really been paying attention, or at least I've been paying really close attention to these international tournaments. I was kind of split emotionally on Italy beating England in Wembley of all places too. I think any person with any kind of soccer knowledge at all could kind of almost feel that coming since what England does this pretty regularly as in blow games or blow major tournaments and then to do it in front of their own fans. It was tough, but at the same time, I do have... For, I have some weird thing where apparently all my friends are Italian. So that guess made it a little easier. It was fun to poke fun at them for a while, but I am happy for all of them that they got the win. It is going Rome, as they say. And then also you got Lionel Messi finally getting his major tournament win, internationally at least, as they beat Brazil down there in Copa. That was, a, that was an interesting game. I had quite a bit of money on Brazil in that game. And that second half, early second half goal that was ruled offsides pretty much just sucked my will to live. And I'm a Lionel Messi is the GOAT guy. And it still kind of hurt a little bit. It, the fact that he ended too, where he had a chance to put that game away 2-0 in stoppage time. And I don't know what that was. That was so uncharacteristic of Lionel Messi. But what it did, though, is it got me not only excited for the United States men's national team prospects. It's we're now watching the Gold Cup. Where every one of these make-believe cups, it seems like the U.S. is in. Which is exciting. It's encouraging. We have young talent and a reason to actually be looking forward to a World Cup and not just say, hey, maybe we get out of the group stages and lose like 3 nothing to some European power. No, that's not the case anymore. The expectations have changed. I think people here actually really expect the United States to not only move on through the group stage, but potentially win a game or two in the knockout rounds. This country's got the soccer bug right now. And a little bit of a run could really do wonders. Meanwhile, I'm on the other side here. 
I like Stoke City. I don't think I've ever told it on here, but worthless reasoning why. When I was trying to get into soccer about 10, 12 years ago, I was up in Wisconsin, and I had a few buddies up there. Matt Kershinsky, I want to say, and then Yanni Skoufis. And we would always play FIFA with one another, and those two guys were soccer fanatics. They'd just bend me over and beat me 7-1 to one or 7 nothing every single time it seemed like we played. But that was really how I learned how to enjoy the game of soccer and what have you. The only way I knew how to score against these guys was cross into the box and head it in. I didn't know how to get the, the fun dribbles. I didn't know how to do the through balls. I didn't know how to do like lob passes, nothing. So what naturally did I do? That was back when Stoke City was in the Premier League. Guess who they had? My boy Peter Crouch, that eight foot tall behemoth man. Anytime you threw anything in there, you knew he was getting his head on it. So naturally, Stoke City became my team which regrettably now means I have to watch championship football and not just Premier League, which is cool, I guess, because I do get to learn a lot about the championship players that might eventually make it to the Premier League. But I kind of just want to watch the Premier League. I kind of just want to see Stoke City actually be respectable so I can take pride in wearing my Stoke City stuff around because it really hasn't happened much lately. But that's all right. This year's different. Stoke City's going to find their way to the Premier League. It's a little bit of a bummer. We're starting to see that little bit of a tax on them that they've been in that league for, what, three years now. They're not able to withstand a lot of those contracts that they were hoping that they could hold on to and get back to the Premier League quickly without too much of a fall off. But that's just not the case. Anyways, I'm droning on there. Real quick, other non-NFL story, then we'll jump right back into football here for you guys. The Home Run Derby, the All-Star Game, were this last week. I'm sure quite a few of you are also MLB fans like myself. I finally got a little bit of that fire back in my belly about the Pirates. I didn't like what they were doing with that first overall pick. I know it's been rumored for months, and I've been kind of really bitching and just really hell-bent on bobnutting well, I, I still am. I hate Bob Nutting. He needs to be gone. He's probably the worst owner in North American professional sports. But even so, what they decided to do was spend less money, take a guy that could have been there a little later than number one, naturally, and basically pass on the Kumar Rockers of the world, the leaders of the world. By doing this, they were able to basically draft guys later in the draft that may have fallen due to the inability to pay them. So the Pirates basically spread their money around and got four or five really solid prospects instead of one, like, guaranteed giant prospect. And I guess as the time has gone on, I'm starting to at least come around a little bit. Because what's going to happen when you draft Kumar Rocker? He's going to be up. You're going to have a blast with him for two or three years. Might even be in that Cy Young conversation. Get y'all fired up, excited once again. And then the Pirates trade them to the Yankees. They trade them to the Red Sox. It's always an AL East team, and we're just a farm system to them. But I am a little excited again. And all this brought me around. Again, this is why I need Steven here to keep me on the rails. Also why I want to be a radio host, because think about it. You get three hours of me just droning on. That's a lot more fun for me. Not so much for you. But anyways, the Home Run Derby also happened then, as I mentioned before. 
Pete Alonso won his second consecutive one. It wasn't an all-star game home run derby last year in the shortened season. This was awesome for Alonso, and I think people were really happy to see him win when you consider the fact he made more in those two home run derby appearances than he's made in his collective Major League Baseball career. That's absurd. It's still remarkable to me that you have guys like Pete Alonso that can be walking around here, the polar bear, hitting absolute moonshots and making $600,000 a year, then shows up one night a year for an hour and a half, gives out a million souvenirs all out the left field, and the guy makes a million dollars a night? That's pretty sweet. That's really sweet. Was a bummer, though, to see Shohei Otani kind of miss out a little early. Everybody, myself included, the guy's just, he's a phenom. You cannot help yourself but watch him. When the Angels are on, they can be completely dead in the water, as they are. But what do we do? We want to watch Shohei Otani. We want to watch Mike Trout. What that organization has ruined in the young prime of Mike Trout's career is sinful. At least this time around, I think they took 20 pitchers in this MLB draft that just happened. Not a position player taken at all. They at least understand what their issue is. I think baseball fans everywhere really do want to see the Angels make the postseason, maybe make a run or two, because boy, do Mike Trout and Shohei Otani deserve it. I mean, this is the most excited most people have probably been about baseball in a long time, and for good reason. Baseball is as back as it's going to ever be, I think. But that's enough about that. Let's go right into our NFL stories this week. So what I'm going to be doing, Stephen did leave me notes that he wants me to throw out there for you guys, which is fair. I'd want notes thrown out if I wasn't able to do this, especially on certain topics, as you'll see what we're about to jump into here. The Packers are still patiently awaiting Aaron Rodgers' decision. The report is that he turned down two-year extension that would have made him the highest paid player in the NFL. He dodged questions at the match and then said, I'll decide in a couple weeks during a celebrity tournament at Lake Tahoe this past weekend. Doesn't look good. Does not look good in Green Bay. Steven's only comment on this right here. He goes, he is gone or just being petty. It's time for me to start drinking because he ain't coming back. And I promise you, Steven's already drinking. I've been getting the snaps to prove it. He's enjoying that bachelor party down there. What I will tell you, though, is if you're a Packer fan, you better be enjoying the damn parade today. Go Bucks! Congratulations to all you cheesehead fans on that. I think they were probably, in my opinion, the most likable NBA champion going back to the Dallas Mavs or the Mavaliers, as my buddies in Cleveland remember them as. Maybe Toronto. Maybe Kawhi, like before Kawhi started getting disliked. I know, again, Steve and I were texting about that the other day. I still think it's back to 2011 in those Mavs teams. But even so, Aaron Rodgers does not feel like he's going to be a pack next year. I don't even have the sense that it's possible anymore. He There's just not a relationship to salvage. The fact that you have seen guys like Devontae Adams outwardly flirting with other teams kind of gives me the impression that Devontae also knows that Aaron Rodgers is done. And if that's the case, man, Green Bay is done. 
this is a sneak preview for next show. Like I mentioned, we had been doing both the AFC and NFC of a region. So like we did the AFC West and NFC West on our last show. This week, we're only doing the AFC North. That's because Steven is a diehard Green Bay Packers fan. But what I will say is that Green Bay's over-under is nine right now. And that is the most bizarre over-under basically in the league right now. Because they don't know, just like we don't know, where Aaron Rodgers will be in September. Will he be in Green Bay? Will he be retired? Could he be in Mile High? Could he be just anywhere else that is not Green Bay? That's pretty much where the over-under lies. It's at nine. 17 games now. It comes down to me, it's this. If Aaron Rodgers plays, then the over's easy. If he doesn't, then the under's easy. They just basically threw a life preserver in the middle of those two numbers and said, this is all on you, Aaron Rodgers. If you're willing to take a gamble right now and try to figure out what that dude's thinking, you have free money out there. But for me, and like Steven, it looks like we think he's gone. And if that's the case, hammer that under now. Because the moment he is gone, that under is probably going to drop to six and a half games. Maybe less. Especially at that point, you know Devontae's going to be pushing to get out. But make sure you tune in in a couple weeks and we'll talk more about that then. Cam Akers, Rams leading rusher. Pretty much been their running back, their guy this past few years. He tore his Achilles right before training camp. The Rams then came out and said they have no immediate plans to pursue a free agent, which I have a difficult time believing. As right now, their running back or their running back room currently looks like Xavier Jones, Raymond Kalai, and Jake Funk. That doesn't feel good. I tell you what, though, the Rams are making Matt Stafford feel right at home. He's been used to this. He knows all about running backs that can't produce, or running backs, young running backs that are expected to jump into a situation and just perform. I think you have to look elsewhere. I mean, this team has one of the best offensive lines. Okay, maybe not one of the best, but they're a fringe top 10 offensive line in the league. You bring in Matt Stafford, who in that offense, I think we might be able to see a Matt Stafford this year that we've never seen. And that's really exciting. I think not only for us, but any Matt Stafford fans out there, I mean, man, this guy has just been beaten down for years in Detroit. And he finally has an opportunity. And with McVay, with that defense, with that defense, I mean, why not? I still, as you probably heard me pick last week, or two weeks ago, I should say, I picked San Francisco to win the division. I still think that they're the best team in the NFC. But if someone's going to knock them off, why wouldn't it be the LA Rams? Last year, Cam Akers, 625 yards, two touchdowns. Then he had Henderson come in, 783 yards from scrimmage and six touchdowns on only 154 touches in his 15 appearances. And then Steven here made a little note. This offense is built for the next man up at the running back position as they used what feels like seven different ones last year. You found your quarterback in Matthew Stafford. He will make up for those lost rushing yards. Yeah, I get it. But at the same time, if this truly is one of your rare opportunities as a Ram fan to get back to a Super Bowl, potentially get back and win a Super Bowl. Shouldn't you go all out? This feels like... I mean, here, here's the thing, too. You see running backs, unlike any other position, where no-name guys can just show up and dominate. 
show up and make a difference. You don't necessarily have to have that giant name. If you have good line play, if you have good quarterback play, you're going to have success at that position. It's funny, we're going to get into the Steelers later, and they're in almost the polar opposite of that right now, which we'll get into. But yeah, in my opinion, the Rams have to do something there. Their team currently constructed, I think, is good enough to potentially even make the Super Bowl, but you need to be a well-oiled machine on that offensive side of the ball. And right now, it feels like they're running back away. But I trust McVay. If he truly believes that one of these three guys I mentioned, Xavier Jones, Raymond Kalai, or Jake Funk, step in and basically eat those Cam Akers touches and do it productively, who am I to judge? Larry Fitzgerald is still undecided on playing this upcoming season. I, first of all, don't understand two parts. Why Larry Fitzgerald wants to come back or why he would, and why would Arizona want him back? They already have kind of made that move to become the retirement home of the NFL. You saw it the last few weeks, honestly, or months, I should say. You've seen it the last few months. They bring in guys like A.J. Green, J.J. Watt. It just feels like, while they're letting guys like Hassan Reddick walk away, they went from being one of the younger teams overnight to bringing in talent that is just frankly over the hill. Like, A.J. Green, do you really think you're going to see anything near those prime numbers? I don't think there's a chance. I, I think there's an honest... I, I might even say I think there's an honest chance. I truly just don't believe he gets 1,000 yards this year. Maybe eight 900. Guy can't stay healthy. He can't stay on the field, even in a 17-game season. I don't know. Maybe he plays 10, 11. That's the benefit of Larry Fitz, if you are an Arizona Cardinals fan, is you know that he's dependable. You know that he's there, that somebody that you can look to, and he will be on the field. Problem is that that speed is gone. Getting that separation is all but gone. There's no yards after catch anymore. That yak is gone. Everything is on that precision of his route running, which credit to him is still there. But I know I have buddies in my... Cleveland group messages that hate guys like Jarvis Landry on the Browns for whatever reason. Larry Fitzgerald is that times two now at this stage of his career. What he catches, he's done. He's basically a glorified tight end that's lining up at wideout. There's no shiftiness. And now you're going to pair him with A.J. Green, and that's supposed to help Kyler Murray? Maybe if you have a young wide receiver room across the board and you want to have that veteran leadership in there, Maybe that's why. I thought at first the reason they brought in A.J. Green was simply, hey, Fitzgerald's done. Let's bring in A.J. Green. He's going to be that new guy. Doesn't seem like it. All of a sudden, if they're willing, and not only willing, but want him back, man, I don't know. Guy's got 1,432 career receptions, 17,492 yards, both just behind Jerry Rice. He's in sixth place all time with 121 touchdowns. Marvin Harrison and Chris Carter are feasibly, if he stayed healthy for a year, he could feasibly pass them both and move into fourth. Marvin Harrison is seven ahead at 128. Chris Carter is nine ahead at 130. Truth be told, I don't think that he gets to those milestones even if he plays another two years. Again, what, what happens when you get into the red zone? I mean, you look for those big targets. Defense is key on those guys. 
route running is your friend, don't get me wrong, but yeah, they're going to try to take away Fitz. I don't think there's a chance he gets to those numbers. I, I love Larry Fitzgerald. He's one of the best people in the NFL. He's done so much. He's made a huge impact. He's made a huge impression on young athletes where he stepped or continued to push for his degrees after he left Pittsburgh, went to the NFL. You see those commercials, University of Phoenix. Make your jokes what you want about schools like that. That's an accomplishment, especially with the hours and commitment, time commitment especially, that these guys have to put into. Good for him. That's awesome. I hope for his sake that he just chooses what will be best for him as a person because it's not going to be a huge statistical improvement coming back. Maybe He just might be one of those guys you need that football in your life. I know we didn't talk a lot about the Richard Sherman thing, or we haven't actually talked about Richard Sherman at all, and I didn't really want to go too much into it because there is still so much we don't know, and it's dangerous to be too speculative, but... I mean, these guys, that's your identity. You become these Greek gods as these NFL players. You're heroes to children, men, women alike. And then one day it's gone. And you're supposed to just seamlessly transition into another career path that they never had actually wanted or looked for. That's got to be tough. I mean, shit, I'm struggling right now as a person going into this field like it's tough man and to have these guys just all of a sudden it's there's no warning Richard Sherman it looks like he's finding out the hard way where nobody's calling it's July 22nd he hasn't had a phone call or I mean he's had phone calls but no serious flirtations with teams no serious I guess curiosity from teams which just makes you believe that the NFL probably thinks that he's just over the hill. And guys like Richard Sherman, he's so well-spoken. He's so intelligent. And yet still, he's battling with this identity crisis. And I really do hope he gets help. Sounds like it's a, a lot of things. It could, I, don't, I don't, again, this is where we start speculating and it's dangerous. But we've seen so many of these former athletes, these former NFL players start having difficulties with their personality, with their anger and stuff due to the head injuries. Who knows? I don't know if that has anything to do with it at all. It could be simply anxiety, depression, which is a huge freaking problem. First-hand knowledge of that. It's scary. So whatever it is, we're rooting for Richard Sherman. I really do. I would love to see him be a guy that either calls games or is an analyst because the guy is brilliant. Again, very well spoken. And I, I think that he would be a, a steal for someone, whether it be CBS, Fox, ESPN, what have you, NFL Network. He could be a great acquisition for any of those networks. But that will bring us to the end of the football topics here. We're going to jump right into now the AFC North previews and predictions here. Again, remember, Steven's not here, so we're not doing the NFC North. It's just the four AFC North teams. I'll read you his little bit early into each team so I can just kind of 
get that out of the way and get my opinions out there right after. But let's start real quick from last year's bottom of the barrel in the AFC North, the Cincinnati Bengals. BetMGM has it set up where the Bengals over-under is set at 6.5 wins, with the over being at plus 105, the under being at minus 125. Steven has the over, and I'll tell you why right now. He says, Joe Burrow's coming back after ACL ended his great rookie season. This could be a fun team when fully healthy. Frank Pollock's new O-line coach. Previously the coach for the Cowboys during their great O-line days early mid-2010s. Also added veteran depth in Riley Reef, Re-signed Quentin Spain and used three picks in that draft on the offensive line. They could be fun fast in a young offense. Pair up Jamar Chase with T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd and Joe Mixon. The Bengals will have the third funnest offense in the division. Now, hearing third funnest offense in the division typically isn't exactly a ring endorsement. But in this division, with how fun the Ravens in the Browns offense can be, I kind of like it. I don't even think that that's that mean. Now, I haven't been telling you guys the average difficulty of schedules for these kind of teams in the breakdowns we've been doing because typically it's like, all right, 13th, 19th, 21st, and 15th for a division. This is where it changes because the AFC North has bears of schedules this year. The Bengals have the third easiest in the division, and they're tied for six hardest in all of the NFL. I'm going to read you their additions and losses here, at least the key ones I wrote down before I give you my over or under here. They brought in Trey Hendrickson from New Orleans. Basically, that was to counteract losing Carl Lawson. Carl Lawson going out to the Jets. That was a mighty blow. I think everybody would much prefer Lawson. With that being said, Hendrickson should be a fun piece to bring in for passing downs. It's still a little... It leaves a little to be desired in the run defense. And this is a team that last year had the 29th best run defense. So that that's not ideal to bring in a guy like that. Otherwise, they brought in Mike Hilton from the Steelers. Chidobi Awuzie from the Cowboys. Larry Ojun Joby from the Browns. And then they naturally drafted Jamar Chase with the fifth overall pick. Wide receiver out of LSU. Has that Joe Burrow LSU connection. So that should be a lot of fun. He lost, I already mentioned Carl Lawson. They lost William Jackson. It's just William Jackson now. Has anybody else noticed that? For the first few years of his career, it was William Jackson III. And now it's like ingrained in my head that it's William Jackson III. It's not. Everywhere it's just listed as William Jackson now, it's throwing me through a loop. But anyways, they lose A.J. Green. Big focal point of that offense for the last, what, 10 plus years. And then you lose John Ross, who, man, talk about a bust. You draft a guy, it was somewhere between like 9 and 12. I remember we were in Philly for that draft. My buddy Tyler and I had to look at my dad and talk him off the ledge because he had been hell-bent. Oh my God, who would he have wanted that year? It doesn't matter. We're getting sidetracked. But I just remember that entire drive to Philly. My dad, my buddy Tyler and I just saying, hey, if you don't take John Ross... We're calling this a minor win. And then, lo and behold, what happened? John Ross is selected. Anyways, I am going to actually go with the over here. I have an obsession with Joe Burrow. For any of the longtime listeners that actually listened to us in our first season here, I am obsessed with Joe. 
I think he has the tools to be a top five quarterback in this league. I think that we saw plenty of those tools on full display last year. And I think that we're going to see them even better. It's not like the past. You blow up a knee in the past. You come back and you're like, oh man, I, I don't know. Maybe he's not the same guy. It's so far the other way now where half the time these guys come back better than they were when they left. I mean, Joe Burrow was freaking walking and jogging like two months after this happened because the guy's working out and rehabbing so hard. I'd be fired up as a Bengals fan. To me, that plus 105 money, I would steal it. I think the worst record this division might see is 7-10, and and it's not even a Bengals team that's eligible for that. I think the Bengals are going to be right around the 8- or 9-win team months ago when we were doing our way too early predictions for everything I think I mentioned that plus 1300 for the division title for the Bengals was at least enticing to throw a couple bones on still think it might be just because I do think the Browns offense will be challenged more this year and they might take a slight step back in the regular season Baltimore lost several key pieces there in their own right and until they can figure out how to pass who knows what can happen? If the Bengals could find a way to 10 wins, who knows? Maybe a better division record could get it done. Don't think that happens. I think plus 1,300 really shows and reflects that. That probably won't happen. But if you ever were into a long shot, I, I think that one will at least be fun for you up until about December when you can probably throw that ticket away. Well, let's go over to the Cleveland Browns. MGM has it set up that they have a 10.5 over under number here. The over being minus 120, under being plus 100. So it's pretty close to 50-50 on which way they, they want you to land here. They actually have the easiest schedule in this division. And when I say that, I, I you guys have to realize too, this is based on record last season. This isn't truly, like when you look back at the end of each year versus the preseason schedule predictor, you're like, oh, wow, you know what? That didn't work out. They said we had the 20th. Hardest schedule, it turned out we had the third hardest schedule, or vice versa. That could happen the same way for anybody. But just for the sake of argument, it should be a difficult time for AFC North teams this year. Steve has the over of 10.5. I'll tell you why right here. Steve notes, Finally, the time we can say the Browns making a Super Bowl run and actually mean it. They added pieces in John Johnson and others. Jadavian brought in to take pressure off Miles Garrett and Baker. Nick Chubb coming off their best season. Jadavian Clowney brought in to take pressure off of Miles Garrett. And Baker Mayfield and Nick Chubb are both coming off of their best seasons as pros. Now let's see how OBJ is looking. This can be a top three offense in the league. A ton of tough games. Six just within the division. So, he's obviously high. He threw that Super Bowl word around. I still... I'm going to take the Chiefs in every day of the week, but if there's a team out there that's built to beat them, kind of feels like it might be Cleveland this year. This is a team that is built for the postseason. That's why, even as I'm talking right now, and I'm not even going to give you a firm prediction, I'm probably going to wait until the preview show in a month. I'll, I'll give you guys all my division winners, conference winners, Super Bowl winners, etc. So I'm not going to give you who's winning the division today, but the reason I started prefacing that is that even if this Browns team doesn't win the division, they're built for a long playoff run. Whether that be a wild card team or not, they're built to be a tough out come January. Great running game. 
that defense should be much, much improved, especially in the back end. Then all of a sudden, you go to a place like Arrowhead, because likely that's where you'll have to go. Let's say you end up in Arrowhead just like last year. The Browns were in that game. I think it was Rashard Higgins. If it wasn't, I apologize, Browns fans, but I think Higgins was the one who caught that ball at the end of the first half and fumbled out of the end zone, trying to extend to, I think, make it either a three-point game. It was make it a really a closer game. The offense was not the problem in that game. Patrick Mahomes, when he was playing, I think he they might have punted once. It might not have even been a punt. It might have been a field goal. But the Browns defense was not stopping Patrick Mahomes in that offense. And that's not necessarily the worst critique in the world just because nobody was stopping Patrick Mahomes. Basically, no one has stopped Patrick Mahomes in all honesty. But I'd be fired up as a Browns fan. If there's a team out there that can do it, that can get past that Chiefs team, it's it's them. And let me tell you why. For the record, I'm taking the over. I'm taking the over. It's minus 120. I think they're going to be right around that 11-6 high-end 12-5 range. I think they could be as low as 10-7. But for money's sake, I think that 11 or 12 wins is more likely. Either way, I do think that you will be seeing the Browns once again in the postseason. But their key ads, Jadavian Clowney, John Johnson, Troy Hill, Malik Jackson, really just took it to the Rams there. Just take two of their better pieces on defense and add it to that secondary. And who knows, you bring in guys like Clowney, if they can bring out that Houston Clowney, And here's the deal, too. He was playing with J.J. Watt. He had a little bit of help. He had that pressure kind of taken off him quite a bit. If similar results happen, that Browns front seven, too. I mean, that whole team, it's on both sides of the ball. Right now, the difference between them and Kansas City is Patrick Mahomes and Baker Mayfield. And I love me some Baker, but he's not Patrick Mahomes. But if he can close that gap enough, maybe upgrades at defense like these two, I guess he's four, but I just meant the secondary pieces in general. That might be able to push him over the edge. Malik Jackson, obviously, he's coming in. You expect with Jadavian Clowney and Jackson, hopefully they're going to be able to figure out that interior defensive pass rush that you're going to lose when Sheldon Richardson left again. They also lost Terrence Mitchell and Larry Oat. I can't say this dude's name. I know I've been hearing it for a hundred years from you Browns fans. Larry Ogun Joby. Ogun Joby. Whatever. You know who I'm talking about. This is a team last year. You're going to hear similar things on both sides of the ball. The run game was a strength in Cleveland. 24th passing offense, 22nd passing defense versus they had the third ranked rushing offense and the ninth ranked rushing defense. When you can control that run game on both sides of the ball, you really can't dictate the game as a whole. It's why a lot of people are just cherry picking stats about Baker Mayfield. Saying, hey, look, the dude's just not producing. Look at these numbers. He's not the guy. People that actually watch those games realize they weren't trying to make Baker Mayfield the guy. This wasn't an offense that was supposed to be dictated through the passing game. One of those cliches you hear in all sports, but sports are cyclical. What I mean by that is we see all the time where the passing game, it's taking over the NFL What happens in the next few years? The defense catches up. So what's that do then? Makes the passing game substantially more difficult, but typically that lends the rushing attack to be a little bit easier for teams. The Browns look kind of like they're running that traditional John Gruden-style West Coast offense right now. 
lot of under center, a lot of power running game, especially when you have a two-headed running back monster like that and that offensive line, which is the best in the league. That's exciting times up there in Cleveland. And when they do need Baker Mayfield to make that pass, he made it more often than not last year. People keep shitting on him. But I tell you what, I'd be fired up. I also, last thing I'll say about the Browns, I know I've been drowning on here for a little bit. They had one of my favorite draft classes in the entire league this year. To have the patience to let Greg Newsom come and fall into your lap there. Perfect scheme fit. Again, you knew what the issues were on this defense going in. They were patient enough to sit there and wait, didn't panic and try to go up for him. Then what do they do? They even top that. We already mentioned that they brought in Troy Hill and John Johnson. Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa. This guy was tagged as high as 17th, I think I remember, to the Raiders. He's kind of that, for Buckeye fans out there, and even not Buckeye fans, I'll, I'll keep going so you can understand what I'm saying. But Pete Warner, he's kind of got that bullet position at Notre Dame where you can line him up at linebacker. And yeah, he's a little small, but he's got that speed and he does pack a powerful punch. You can line him up at safety. He's fast enough to keep up with those wide receivers, especially when it's his own coverage scheme. I think he's going to be a great fit, and they got him at 52. And then here, a couple of my late-round picks that were probably some of my favorites in the draft. Anthony Schwartz. When you hear the word Olympic speed, that's nothing to laugh at. That is different. That's not something you see every day. Especially not something you see every day in the NFL anymore. They're trying to do their own little Tyreek Hill movement here. And who knows? They have so many weapons. They're going to have the time to give Baker Mayfield with that kind of offensive line. Look out those seam routes. Look out for those nine routes. Even those little drags or bubble screens. Guys like this, you, you find ways to get the ball in this guy's hands. I love that pick. Love that pick. And I know this is the Buckeye homer in me. But notice I haven't been doing this with every Buckeye that's been picked. But Tommy Togiai, he just seems like a great guy to have in there on third and shorts or obvious running opportunities. That guy is plays mean. He plays aggressive in the interior. He plays mean. He plays aggressive on that interior defensive line. And I really do like what he does bring to this defense. It's going to be really hard for me not to pick them to win the division, but it's just something about the Browns where I, I almost feel like they kind of relish this underdog role. And don't get me wrong, they want to win the division. They're not like purposely not trying to win the division. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying I almost feel like they need adversity to get the best out of them. They almost need to have that little shitty losing streak where let's say they lose 38-10 to 10 to the Chiefs first night of the year in football what's the world gonna do the Browns are fake they're exactly who we thought they were in the past every time we buy in and what do they do they let us down no no just hold on the Chiefs are gonna be playing some kind of pissed off in that first game they upgraded that offensive line they have very few weaknesses in their own right if they do get a win and a comfortable win at that Take a chill pill, Browns fans. Take a chill pill. There's a chance even, I can't even remember off the top of my head, this is bad podcasting, I'll look it up on my phone right now, but I want to say that you guys actually have a difficult second game too. So even if you start the year 0-2, you cannot panic. You cannot panic. Here it is. I got the schedule up in front of me. 
I completely lied, guys. Uh, when I said a hard game, probably one of your easiest. Oh my gosh, I'm just a clown. Never say I don't hold myself accountable. I could edit this out. It's just me recording this right now. I could edit this out. I'm not going to do it because I'm an idiot and I want you guys to know I'm an idiot. But here, I'll just read you guys the first uh, couple months here for the Browns. At KC, that's a loss. I'm sorry. Then they host Houston. That's a win. They host Chicago. I think that's a for sure win if it's before Justin Fields gets in there. You get rookie quarterbacks, and that really does throw a lot of wrenches into everything. So it could complicate things, but I do think the Browns win. Browns at Minnesota. At Minnesota makes it a little challenging. I would probably pick the Browns right now, but I could see that going either way, which is going to make it easier for me to pick the Chargers this next week as the Browns go to LA. That's as simple as this. I think they split one of those two games, whether it be the Vikings or the Chargers. I just chose that the Chargers get the win here. Cardinals in Cleveland. I mean, call me crazy. I feel like the Browns match up really well all of a sudden with Arizona. You see what they did with bringing in John Johnson and Troy Hill. They're trying to basically counteract that Lamar Jackson speed, too. You have to have that speed on the outside. You need the speed in that defensive secondary. All of a sudden, you have that same scheme fit. That's better, or at least built to beat Kyler Murray as well. They'll beat Denver, and then they play Pittsburgh. Then they play Cincinnati. I mean, geez, man, it's going to be hard for me not to pick the Browns win this division. But I guess that's a reason for you guys to come back in a few weeks. I've been on them too long. This is one of my favorite divisions to talk about, living in this area for so much, between Pittsburgh, Cleveland area, and then even going up to Milwaukee. It was just a lot of fun to AFC and NFC North. These are two of my favorite divisions that the Raiders are not a part of. Anyways, let's go to the second place team from last year, the Baltimore Ravens. MGM has their over-under set at 10.5, with the over being minus 150. The under being plus 125. They have the second hardest schedule in the NFL this year. Notice I said second, because we're saving the best for last. Don't you worry about that, Steeler fans. Steve went the under for right now, so he's taking that plus 125. He's not buying in to what Vegas is selling here, and I'll tell you why right here. This is a big year for Lamar. Can he look decent in the air? Will he be stopped out of the pocket after back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons? Can they get it done in the playoffs? Adding Sammy Watkins for the pass game, adding offensive line depth for Lamar, J.K. Dobbins. That defense will always be dangerous, and they will keep you in the games. Quite frankly, I think this is a make-or-break year for Lamar. Would you feel comfortable paying this man generational money to run around? People are going to learn to contain him and force him to throw. couple initial thoughts here off of that. I wish you guys could see how belligerently terrible Steve is at spelling or at least double-checking his work. He, like, deliberately will misspell words, and I can see it on our rundown. It's got that little squiggly red line saying, you're an idiot, spell the word right. And what's he do? He doesn't give two shits. He could just blows on by. It makes it uh, challenging here to to read his words because I feel like I'm talking to a toddler. I hope you're listening, Steve. Love you. But yeah, brutal, brutal stuff. But yeah, he he does bring up a couple good points. It's not a problem to be critical of Lamar. For some reason, I feel like there's this like belief you're not allowed to talk battle about Lamar. And I think it's probably a large part due to, for such a long time, we had talked about black quarterbacks. And when I say we, I'm not saying you and I. I'm talking about 
sports media in general. But I feel like there was a misnomer, there was a stigma around black quarterbacks that they weren't going to be able to pass. They weren't intelligent like white quarterbacks. Obviously, we know that's incredibly wrong and like offensive and terrible now when you look back that it was even without it being said you knew that that was the underlying message that you were getting out of people but you are allowed to be critical of people that's okay that's okay as sports fans and Lamar Jackson he, he deserves a little bit of criticism the guy's a freak athlete he's been an outstanding mobile quarterback like Steven said in his little note he had over 1000 yards in back-to-back seasons that's just unbelievable for a quarterback i mean he's With the exception of Michael Vick, he is the most elusive quarterback in NFL history, and I think there's plenty of people that would make a case Lamar is more elusive. With that being said, we need to see that development with his arm. Simple enough. If he could take another step with that arm, this Baltimore team is right there with Kansas City. They really are right there. It's just... When are we going to see it? Because it's starting to feel like we might not see it. Now, to defend Lamar, though, it's not like his wide receivers have been anything to write home about so far. They have had a really good rush attack. He haven't had the, the need to throw deep a lot. I will say this. Mark Andrews is a fun piece for Lamar to play with, and they do seem to have really good chemistry, especially it seems like down the red zone. I don't have the numbers in front of me. But every time you're watching CBS and you get one of those game breaks and you go see a Ravens game, it seems like they're inside the 10-yard line and there's this like wide-open Andrews in the corner off of play action or something. So that's cool. I just really hope that they eventually get the wide receiver play out there to at least give them a shot because Sammy Watkins ain't it. He's one of the guys they brought in. My God, am I the biggest Sammy Watkins hater in the world? I just don't get it. He has one or two games a year where he throws like 150, 200 yards at it. And then we like decide to give him a pass the rest of the year. The guy will end up with like 700 yards receiving. And like a third of it came in one game. And we sit there like, oh, Sammy Watkins, he's one of the best wide receivers in the league. No, no. And, and that might be an extreme stretch for some people. But even the people that are like, oh, yeah, Sammy Watkins is a solid wide receiver. No, he's fast. He's fast. He's not that great of a wide receiver. That's why he's been playing freaking Red Rover, Red Rover with every freaking team. Hey, why don't you come over? We'll try you out. Oh, it didn't work. We'll send you on your way. See ya. I just don't get it. I, I'm not a Sammy Watkins believer. But if you think that I'm low on that move, listen to some of these other moves that they made. Kevin Zeitler and Alejandro Villanueva. Talk about an anti-youth movement. I know you lose Orlando Brown, you lose Matthew Don, you lose Yannick Ngakwe, Mark Ingram. Really doesn't feel like you're offsetting that with those additions, but it all comes down to this again. Can Lamar take that next step as a passer? Because these are the two teams that the Browns and the Ravens, they're the AFC North champions. One of them is the AFC North champion. It won't be Pittsburgh. It probably won't be Cincinnati. Worst pass offense in the entire league last year paired with the best rushing offense in the entire league. That should really tell you what this offense looks like. And it should also tell you how remarkable of an athlete Lamar is, that they know that you're going to be trying to run it down their face, whether it be a read option, just a scramble, whether it just be a dive, a veer, what what have you, and they still can't stop it. 
if he can even get that passing offense to middle of the tier, middle of the pack, somewhere in that even 15 to 20th range, I mean, this team could be a Super Bowl threat. But I need to see it before I believe it. Last note for them here, they did have two late first-round picks, but unlike those picks that I was just talking about in Cleveland, left a little bit to be desired. I did like Rashad Bateman. I don't think he's going to necessarily have the greatest NFL career, but every freaking additional wide receiver weapon for Lamar, let's throw anything at a wall and see if it sticks right now. And then Audafe away, the linebacker out of Penn State, he can line up on the edge a little bit too. While I have nothing against Audafe away as a player, it just, again, I, I mean, I guess, see, this is me backtracking live in front of you here. They have a strength. Their defense is naturally their strength. Six passing defense, eighth rushing defense, and you, it's every year. What are we used to in AFC North? The Steelers and the Ravens having dominating defenses. So that's where it's a little confusing. We were joking earlier about talking about the Los Angeles Angels drafting only pitchers because they want Shohei Otani and Mike Trout to take that next step and eventually have that opportunity to take that next step. The Ravens are kind of doing the other thing where they're like, you know what, sure, we have a strength. Let's keep it strong. Let's keep him here. It's going to look great. And let's just hope that Lamar figures it out. You have to imagine one of these days. It's been like a long-running joke. It's like, why don't the, the Browns just take a quarterback with every single pick? One of them's bound to be good. It's like a joke naturally, but there is an essence of truth in it. Like, why don't the Ravens take three or four wide receivers? Figure out who has that connection with Lamar. We'll see. I think they're probably narrowly my favorite to win the division. That being said, I think Cleveland's the better team to actually take a long run in the playoffs. But I haven't given you that official pick. That I'll be here in a few weeks with the ultimate NFL season preview. Our last team today, the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers. The ends are country. Eight and a half is the over-under. Over is 105. Minus 105, excuse me. The under is minus 125. Again, it looks very 50-50 according to MGM. They have the hardest schedule in football. Just like myself, Steven has the under. Set at minus 125. MGM is with us. I'll read you Steve's thoughts and I'll give you my own right after. The defense... Here, again, you know what? I'm just going to, first of all, I'm going to read this the way that Steve wrote it down and then I'm just going to read it after I think as a human being would. The defensive is still elite back with Watt, Fitzpatrick, and others. This offense lost James Conner, two Pro Bowl caliber offensive linemen in Villanueva, Pouncey. No confidence in the uh, team supposed to be this with the way the thu the way the season and it, there's not even a season ended last season this is brutal i'm gonna try to just go through again and read it i'm gonna try all right guys bear with me i'm trying to read this script writing here the defense is still elite back with Watt fitzpatrick and others this offense lost james connor two pro bowl offensive linemen in villanueva and pouncey Disagree there. They used to be Pro Bowl caliber. Yeah, no confidence in this team with the way the season ended last year. Well, games against division foes, Green Bay, Tennessee, Buffalo, Kansas City. Why has he put... My God, Steven, you're killing me. Well, games against division foes, Green Bay, Tennessee, Buffalo, and the Chiefs. He has an asterisk next to Green Bay. Not sure why. 
That's 9-10 to 10 tough games right there. Their defense gives me confidence they will be in games. Their ineptness offensively doesn't give me confidence they will finish those games hard under. Wow. That was hard. That was difficult to read. Apologies. I'm going to get Steven into a writing class, I swear. And I'm going to get myself into a reading comprehension class. Anyways, just recently this last week, you saw Melvin Ingram finally got signed. He got signed by the Steelers in an attempt, I imagine, to replace Bud Dupree. You naturally have Dupree going to Tennessee. You have Pouncey, Villanueva, Mike Hilton, Filer, James Conner. Tough losses here. Really not bringing anything in. I know that Big Ben's supposedly on like the diet of his life, and it's he's doing well. Good for him. I hope that's true. I'm not looking forward to him being out of football. It doesn't feel right that we have a world where Big Ben's not in football anymore, but I think it's close. The biggest moves you could realistically make beyond Melvin Ingram, you could say it, would, it has to be the draft picks. And it has to be the fact that they basically re-signed Juju Smith-Schuster and Tyson Alu-Alu. Those are your biggest acquisitions, and it's bringing guys back. They did have three picks I really enjoyed in the draft. Let me rephrase that. They have three players I really enjoyed in this draft. They have Najee Harris, the running back out of Bama, tore up Ohio State, and everybody else he played last year. Pat Fryermuth, the tight end out of Penn State. He was a bit of a headache. Anybody that remembers Mike Kosicki just knows that this is they're really just turning out tight ends too. I know that Iowa's kind of tight end to you in the Big Ten, but Penn State's not far behind. Then probably my favorite pick for the Steelers in the whole draft, Kendrick Green, the interior offensive lineman out of Illinois. He just seems like he's going to be an instant click-and-play player on that interior offensive line, and we know what they typically do. They usually have that success there. So I do think the Steelers are going to be a competitive football team this year. I just didn't... I don't agree with the Najee Harris pick for this reason. If you take Najee Harris, it means that you were in Super Bowl now mode to me. If you take a running back in the first round to do it on the front side of a rebuild, like we're not even in the rebuild yet for the Steelers. The moment that Big Ben's gone, that's when they have that kind of meeting. They have to have that question like, hey, our defense is one of the best in football. Our offense is one of the worst in football. Do we try to bridge the gap with the offense right now? Or do we tear everything down to the studs and start over? I think you're more likely to see the Steelers go the route of probably just trying to bridge the gap. Try to find a veteran quarterback to come in after Big Ben's gone. Because this defense is special. It's a, it's a scary defense. You can't take that away from them. I know that it doesn't look necessarily as great on paper. And they still look good. Third passing defense, 11th rushing defense. Those numbers were substantially better before they ended up that really poor stretch to end the year. I think they ended, what, I think it would have been 1-4 and because I do want to say they were 11-0 and and ended at 12-4. and Devin Bush being back, him being healthy again is going to be massive, even though his TikTok game is absolutely banana lands. Anybody who hasn't, and I said TikTok, I meant Twitter, his social media in general, he talked bad on TikTok. That's why that name was in my head. And then you had uh, Chase Claypool with the eyeball emoji afterwards. But yeah, it's uh, <laughs> their their locker room atmosphere is so bizarre. I know the Mark Maddens of the world hate it and talks down on it every day. It's less even that for me. I I just don't know what's going on. It just feels 
like a completely unique experience. Mike Tomlin's clearly a very players friendly coach. I mean, that's the only way you can explain guys like Antonio Brown surviving as long as he did. But I don't know, man. Schedule this difficult. And I'm starting to finally understand what Steven meant here when he was saying with games against division foes, so that's six games, then you have Green Bay, Tennessee, Buffalo, and Kansas City. So those are the 10 games he's talking about, even out of there. I mean, at best case scenario, you have to hope for splits in Cleveland and Baltimore. Hopefully you get a sweep in Cincinnati. This is best case scenario for the record. Let's say that happens. They're 4-2 and two in division. Green Bay, you got to hope that Aaron Rodgers is gone. So if that's the case, it's 5-2. and two. Tennessee, man, with especially with Julio Jones there, that's going to be a tough out for anybody. But let's say that they're able to stop Derrick Henry. They might get a win there, 6-2. and two. Buffalo, I think, beats them. Kansas City beats them. So that's 6-4 and four in that stretch. Then you have that last seven games, and it just turns into that. Do they go 3-4? and four? Do they go better than that? Again, I might look like an idiot in the long term because I've been predicting the end of the Steelers' dynasty run. Not even dynasty, but, you know, this, I guess, painful run for most people that aren't Steelers fans or awesome run if you are a Steelers fan. Last 15 years with Big Ben have been special. It's years that you're never going to forget. Honestly, the best time ever to be a Steeler fan with the exception of those 70s years during the, the Steel Curtain tenure. Even if you guys go 6-11 and 11 this year, I just encourage Steeler fans out there to really try to drink in every last moment of Big Ben. You guys had a hell of a run. It was a lot of fun to root for you, to root against you. Steelers were polarizing, man, and that, that team, it's... They're, they're the NFL. Like you think of, what, when you say the NFL, they're one of that short breath of teams you think about. And I think the door's closing. I think the window's closing. I think that you got Baker Mayfield, Kevin Stefanski, and the Browns in one corner. You got Lamar and Harbaugh in the other. Not only that, I guess you probably have Joe Burrow. I'm, I'm not even going to say Zach Taylor because who knows how long he'll be there. But you got Joe Burrow looking over the shoulder too. Good luck, Steeler fans. Think you think you're gonna have to go into some unprecedented, not fun season stretches here, where most other fans, like myself, as a Raiders fan, I mean, my God, one playoff appearance since 2002, and Connor Cook started it. I mean, be happy, be happy, guys. But anyways, guys, that's gonna bring us to the end of another edition of Lost It Down. Here in two weeks, we'll have Steven back, and we'll do the NFC North preview over-unders, all that fun stuff. And we'll probably announce when we're going to be coming back to every week. We're not far away from that. We're also not far away from that long episode, the season preview, where we'll be giving you our MVPs, our Coach of the Year, Rookie of the Year, Comeback Player of the Year, Division Winners, etc., etc., etc. Make sure you follow us on all of our social media. Steven does a great job on the Instagram page. I got to get better, but I'm on the uh, Twitter page, excuse me. That's down underscore loss. Couldn't get loss of down on there. But the season's right around the corner. That should make things a lot easier. Should make things a lot more exciting. Won't have to be keep doing this garbage. Oh, what's going on now talk? So I hope you guys are as excited for it as we are. But we appreciate you guys. You guys are the best. We will be back next week. Today is July 22nd. So it should be out morning of the 23rd. So yeah, 
We'll be back July 30th. Next Friday. Eh, who knows? Maybe the 29th. Might get lucky. But we love you guys. We'll catch you next week for another edition of Loss of Down.